All right, with that, turn with me to John chapter 9, verse 1, the Gospel of John. Uh, as we look at this beautiful passage, a great story, and uh, uh, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? This is talking about Christ. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it, it, is, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Let's pray together. Father, we, we are so appreciative and thankful for this passage, this event, this moment in history where we see you glorified through your Son. Help us to understand it and your timing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today's message is a biblical application of what I preached on last week. Now, it was an online-only service last week, and I, I just had noticed some things about timing in our world and so I, I shared the message. It was from the heart, but I watched it later, and it was very, um, uh, very conceptual. And so uh, it was biblical, but, but very conceptual. And so today I want to share with you a very practical application of what I shared last week. If you didn't watch the sermon last week, uh, go ahead and watch it. Not, not during the service, but later on, watch the sermon from last week. And uh, today is the application of that. So today's message is entitled, What Time Is It? Part two. Part two. I want you and I to consider how we use our time, which is really God's time in our life. If we've given our life to Jesus Christ, we've surrendered to his lordship. Our life doesn't belong to us anymore. It belongs to Christ. And our time doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Christ as well. And I know that God wants us to use our life in a way that's productive. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I do have just three ways this morning that we can use God's time in our life in the best manner possible. And the first is this. Invest your time in that which matters most. Invest your time in that which matters most. So what is important? What are the activities that are most valuable, productive, and meaningful in your life and in the world around you? It's a fair question. What is most important in your life? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, if you'll turn there with me, this is the writer to the Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. He was a leader in the church. He was a Jewish, uh, he, from a Jewish background. He was uh, an expert in Jewish theology. And he's writing an, a, 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 a group of people, a group of people who say they're believers in Christ, and many of them are believers in Christ, but they're not making much progress. And he shares this frustration about this in chapter 5, verse 12. The writer says, in fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. 
You need milk, not solid food. Again, he's sharing his frustration with the Christian readers of his day. I have two kids in college now. One's 19 and the other is 21, uh, soon to be 22. And so I was uh, with one of them this week at, at school. I went with him to, to, uh, to get some counseling about what classes to take and what classes not to take. And I shared with him that I had roommates in college because you have to have 120 hours, give or take, to, to graduate in most schools. And I had roommates that had 130 hours, 140 hours, 150 hours because they took all these classes that ultimately did not apply to their major or they changed their major multiple times. And so all those classes that they paid for, studied for, worked for, were for nothing. Now I say nothing. You say, well, they got the, the value of the education. I don't remember anything from college. <laughs> you know, I don't tell my kids. Over the years, that knowledge fades, you know, and, and uh, uh, but I, I, so I told him, you know, you want to, if you're going to take a class and study for a class and I'm going to pay for a class, it better be a class you need. Don't take a bunch of classes you don't need. And he certainly agreed with that. But I just said, you know, 120 hours for a, a college degree, that's what we call a four-year degree. Now there's a two-year associate's degree that requires 60 hours. A four-year college degree requires 120 hours. And so in order to get those 120 class hours in to graduate, obviously in four years, you have to take uh, 60 every two years, 30 every year, which boils down to 15 hours a semester. Now, if you take 15 hours a semester for four years, you're probably going to graduate right on time. If you pass them, you will. If you take 18 or 20 hours a semester, you're going to graduate in three years. You ever know anybody that did that? I didn't like them. They, they made, made us all look bad. There aren't that many of them. Most of us, it took four years, but there are many people that it takes longer. If you take fewer than 15 hours, 12 hours or nine hours per semester, it's going to take you longer, or in some cases, a lot longer. It took me five years to get through college because I had to work all through college. There was not a single semester in college that I did not have a part-time, at least a part-time, if not a full-time job. So my dad was a barber. We just didn't have any money. And, and so all of us had to work our way through college. And so it just took longer. It took me five years. Some people take, bless you, six years or seven years. I know a guy in college he went to college 10 years and never graduated. 10 years. And so you got to pace yourself. And I'm trying to tell my kids, you don't want to be 30 and not be through with college yet. And I don't want to pay for it. So I, it's a matter of, of time. And so this is what happened. Because I, this, this guy I knew who went 10 years, he should have not only graduated, he should have been a supervisor at his company by that point. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, spiritually to those that were reading it, he says, you guys ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be grown spiritually, but I'm having to give you milk like you're still babies. Christianity 101. And he shares that frustration. There's time in your life to be a spiritual baby. Some of you are spiritual babies. You just got saved. God doesn't expect you to, to have deep wisdom and insight and have all the Bible memorized and all these passages and understand where every book in the Bible is. But if you've been a, 
a, a Christian for 40 years or 50 years and you don't know the difference between the book of Mark and the book of Exodus, something's probably wrong. And so there, that's the frustration he's sharing with the people uh, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 5. He said, you guys should be better. Than, you should be further along than this. Your timing is off. You ought to be mature. But you need milk and not solid food. So in what ways do we waste our time? Because if we go through life like somebody who's spiritually a baby, that's going to be reflected in how we use our time in the kingdom of God. What ways do we waste our time most? <clears throat> I looked through a dozen articles or so, and I kind of compiled them in my mind of what I saw most often. These are Christian articles, non-Christian articles, and as I, I, you know, 25 things that waste our time the most, the 10 things that we spend the most time on that are not productive, those sorts of articles. And this is what I gleaned from them. These were the ones I noticed the most. Um, <clears throat> number one, we work hard to avoid our problems. Working hard to avoid our problems. Number two, talking about our emotions and our problems, but not about solutions. We just talk about so-and-so and how this person wronged me and that person wronged me, or I don't like this and I don't like that. We never go to that person, never resolve anything. It's just a waste of time. Arguing for the sake of winning. Number four, living your life to impress others. Five, time spent worrying about and complaining about things we cannot change. Let me say that again. Time spent worrying about and complaining about things we cannot change. It's a waste of time. Number six, complaining constantly about issues and concerns in a way that will not bring about any solution or improvement. Let me give you an example. In recent weeks, we had a break-in into the Capitol building. What did it accomplish? Now, I'm not saying that uh, they don't have a right to be concerned or a right to be frustrated. It's a practical question. In the end, what did it accomplish? Most of them are in jail, and they're probably in jail right now. I hope they're evaluating. Uh, what did they accomplish? D did we change any laws? Are there any differences in our politicians or our leaders in this country? It didn't accomplish anything. And by the way, <clears throat> when they broke in, it's very clear that they didn't really have any goal to accomplish anything. They just put on their buffalo hat and uh, their Trump flag, and they went storming into the Capitol building. But once they got into the building, most of them just were loitering around. You know, one guy stole a, a podium, and he's, he's posing for the camera with his podium. One guy went into Pelosi's office and took a page from her stationery, left a quarter, paid for, <laughs> paid for the page, then he proudly showed his Pelosi stationery. I don't know that I would want that, but, um, but he took that because I don't think they had any idea what they were going to do. Now, one guy was there with a bunch of zip ties. He was up to no good. I think he had plans. But most of them were just loitering in the Capitol building. I get the impression they didn't realize they were actually going to succeed at getting in there. So what do you do when you get in there? Well, and so now they're in jail. So if you're going to do something in life, do something that is going to amount for something. Now, we don't break into Capitol building. What do we do? We go on to Facebook, and we share our opinions with other people who have the same opinion, and we all share the same opinion back and forth, and it's changed so many laws. I mean, we're, we are so much better off. 
It doesn't make any difference. And I've told you that before. We want to use God's time better. So one of the things that we do is we complain and we, we don't like things. We're not happy about things, but we don't do anything that will actually bring about a solution. Some spend too much time, this is number six, uh, too much time living in the past. You don't like the present. You're not optimistic about the future, so you dwell on the good old days of the past. Now is written off in favor of the wonderful days of yesteryear, which at the time you didn't see as that wonderful. I think it's good to reminisce, by the way. The older I get, the more I do it. <laughs> but to dwell in the past too much negates the good that God wants to do today and in the future. I know you may not believe this, but I tell you the truth. In 10 years, you and I will be talking about the good old days of 2020. <laughs> Hard to believe, but I'm telling you, that's how, we, that's how life is. So what are the biggest time wasters for you? Now, I know from the early congregation, you're not going to want to share or confess. So talk about the person beside you or behind you. What are some big time wasters in our life right now? Every day. What do, you, what, what do people spend their time doing? Uh, working. Well, actually, working can be productive. Sometimes not. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. Can be. What else? TV. You watch a lot of TV. A lot of people do. We'll, we'll talk about that as well. What else? Retirement? Well, I don't know how, I don't know how retirement is, um, but you can be productive at any age. You just have to change your strategies a little bit. Anybody else? Anything, things that we waste our time on. Okay, reading things that don't bring productivity. We do a lot of that. Well, I went on a diet this week of Facebook for one day. Was it Friday? You know, because I'm mad at Facebook, and so we logged off for a day. I'm sure that really taught them. But it was weird because I kept going around everywhere I went. I said, oh, it's, it's turned off. It's turned off. And so I didn't quite know what to do with myself. So you could say we spent a lot of time on that phone. Anything else? Dusting. <laughs> That's a waste of time. It just comes back. That's right. Well, let me share with you some things I think, just a few things from God's Word that we should uh, consider. So what, what I want you to do is invest your time in that which matters most, and we're going to look at what matters most. And the first under that is make great choices. Make great choices. That's really my second Point. There are bad choices, good choices, better choices, and great choices, or best choices. Make great choices in life. One of the greatest challenges in life, which requires the wisdom that only God can give, is that we choose the right choices at the right time. I've been married for 22 years, be 23 in uh, August, and so... <clears throat> It's great I proposed to my wife. If I went out and proposed to somebody this week, that's the wrong time. <laughs> so 
So it's really important that we get our timing right in life. Great choices at the best time. Romans chapter 5, verse, eight, verse 6, Romans 5, 6, Paul is writing the church in Rome, and he says this. He says, you see, at just the right what? Time, at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that famous passage is predicated with this statement. You see, at just the right time. If Jesus had come in 300 B.C., it would have been the wrong time. If he had come in 300 A.D., it would have been a wrong time. If he had come in the 21st century, it would have been the wrong time. He came at exactly the right time in history. When all of history and mankind was prepared and ready for that moment in time. God has perfect timing. So guys, and I know I probably have told you this before, when you're dating that young lady that you love, when is the right time to propose? In 10 years? In 10 months? In 10 minutes? When is the right time to propose? Do you know? Well, do what? Yeah, when it's right. And how do you know when it's right? She will tell you. <laughs> That's how you know when it's right. Pastor and Christian author Gordon MacDonald once wrote this. He said, one of the greatest tests of human character is found in making critical choices of selection and rejection amidst all of the opportunities that lurk in life's past. You see, this week you're going to have opportunities. Some of them are great opportunities. Some of them are good, some okay, and some are not good at all. And you don't have time to do all of them. You have to choose the best opportunities. Third, produce something. Produce something. That is, be productive in your life. Seven billion people in the world, and I would venture to say the majority of people, because the majority are lost, the majority of people in this world waste their time and are not productive at all. Satan's desire for you is for you to just waste today, or as much of today as possible. And then his desire tomorrow is that you just waste as much time as possible, spend it all on Facebook, spend it all playing games or watching TV or, or on your phone or doing, checking email, whatever, if, you just, if he can just get you to waste as much time as possible, he's got you. Because Satan's desire for your life is for your life to count for nothing. But God's desire is for your life to be Productive. Produce something. By the way, it's very practical in the Bible. Look with me in Titus chapter 3, verse 14. Titus chapter 3, verse 14 says this. I love this. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. 
Now here he's actually talking about what? Get up and go to work. You got bills to pay. For them, they, they didn't get paid every other week or once a month. They got paid every single day when they went to work. They went to work, they worked all day, they got paid. On their way home, they would buy dinner and whatever necessities that they needed, and then they would go home and eat. And if they didn't work for that day, they didn't eat that night. Very simple. And so the writer here says, you need to be productive in your life on a practical level. Do something with your life. And you know this, for all of us, you know, there are days that we lay around the house and we do nothing. I had COVID and it, it just made me worthless. You know, I didn't have any energy at all. I had a terrible headache, blah, 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 the usual things like the flu. And so I just laid there. I didn't do anything. You know, I, I, I survived it fine, but what a waste of two weeks of my life. Just gone because there wasn't much I could do. I hate that. Now, sometimes we feel fine and the whole day goes by and you look back at that day and go, I didn't do anything today. But other times when you find yourself doing something, just doing something productive, at the end of the day, there's this sense and this feeling of accomplishment because you just did something with your time that was productive. And so we need to produce. And that's what they're saying in the Bible. It's so wonderfully practical, God's word is. He's saying, don't waste time. Work, produce, provide in your family. And we do that physically, but also spiritually. One author said it this way, time indeed is a sacred gift and each day is a little life. Think one day at a time. Be productive. I recently read an article entitled, Life, What Are the Most Common Ways People Waste Time? And this is their, what they, their conclusion. Number one, people waste time on their phone and social media. Uh, he says, your phone and social media are your soulmates. <laughs> That's, you spend too much time there. Number two, stalking people on social media is one of your hobbies. Or number three, you're addicted to watching TV or playing video games. Addicted means that you spend hours and hours doing that. Number four, you are a gossip monger and your day feels incomplete without gossip. Number five, you complain a lot. Did you know the average, I don't know how they determined this or found this out. The average person, the average person spends at least seven minutes a day. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but the average person, for example, spends seven minutes a day thinking about exercise but doing nothing. Yeah, you know exactly what he's talking about. I think about exercise all the time. I don't actually exercise, but I think about it. That's wasted time. What a waste of your energy. How many times do we think about things, but we don't do them? What's the point? Seven minutes, gone. Did you know the average person spends 171 minutes a day checking their smartphone? That's two and a half hours on average checking your smartphone. For some of you, it's a lot more. In our passage for today in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples came across a man born blind. Apparently, the disciples all knew who he was. 
because they knew that he had been born blind. He had a reputation. They'd probably seen him many times before, and everybody around had seen him many times because he's blind. All of his life, they knew he had been born blind. Of course, they wanted to know whose fault it was, his fault or his parents' fault. Fault-finding is always a big deal to us, especially when it's somebody else's fault. In fact, we get a lot of enjoyment out of determining whose fault things are when it's not our fault. Jesus had a remarkable response in verse 3. He replied, if we can go back to verse 3, and it's in the highlighted part, the yellow part. This is the reply of Christ. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now let me stop right there for just a second. This guy was born blind. He's never seen a thing. Never watched a sunrise or a sunset. He's never seen a, a flower. He's never seen a hillside. He's never seen the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful place. He's never seen anything in his life. Blind all of his life. And if you were to ask him when he was 5 years old, 15 years old, 25 years old, 35, however old he is, what is the biggest problem in your life? What's a bad thing in your life? He'd say, my blindness. But that's him seeing his life from his perspective, just like you see your life from your perspective. But Jesus saw his life from its, total, its totality, its complete perspective. He saw beginning, middle, and the end of his life. And he says, when I look at this man's life, first of all, nobody sinned. Bad things happen. But let me tell you about this bad thing of blindness in his life. Let me tell you something wonderful. Here's what he says. This happened so that what? The work of God may be displayed in his life. It may be the worst thing about you. You think that you're too old or too short or too disabled or too bald <laughs> or too big or too small or too uneducated or too shy or too afraid. God can take the weakest part of your life and use it for his glory. In fact, all of this guy's life, this blind guy, his whole life was culminating in this moment. He didn't know it. When he woke up that morning, he's just another blind guy. He had no idea that his whole life was, was building to this moment. It was here. This was the time. And so Jesus said, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And how was it displayed through his blindness? He took his blindness and restored his sight. And because he'd been born blind, nobody could deny it. Had he only been blind for six months, the Pharisees would have gone, eh, six months, he's probably just gotten better on his own. But born blind, there is no refuting the fact that Jesus Christ healed him. It was irrefutable proof of his divinity and how important that was for that man. That man is now in heaven for the last 2,000 years. He's probably going around to everybody going, I was the guy. <laughs> I was the guy. Oh, man, am I so glad I was blind all those years because it drew people to Jesus Christ. A matter of timing. Now, the second part's in verse 4. So here's what happened. As often happened in, in the New Testament, Jesus took something, an event, and used it as a teaching opportunity. So in verse 4, what does he say? He says this, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. 
Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's what he's saying. Jesus knew his time on earth was short. He knew the end was coming for him, his time here. He knew the end was coming. And he says, while I'm here, now is the time. Because his time would soon be over. It's okay, by the way, that it was his time. Because God had plans through that as well. Listen to me. Your time on this earth will soon come to an end. Some of you will live for another year. Some 20, some 50. Maybe there's somebody in this room that will be here 100 years from now. You'll be really old. And I won't be here <laughs> But maybe somebody, but even a hundred years is a flash in the history of the world. Our time is so very short on this earth, and it will soon end. God's plan for us is eternity, but we'll never be back here. Even after we've been in heaven for a billion years, we'll never be back here. We'll never be in this place at this time again, right here, right now, is the time for what God wants to do in our life. One day, if the earth is still here, they say scientists will be able to stop the genetic instructions that cause aging, and they will be able to reprogram the body to live 500 years, 1,000 years, or even 5,000 years. Oh, my goodness. We procrastinate badly enough now. Imagine putting things off for 500 years. Wives, you'll say to your husbands, you said we were going to do that a thousand years ago. Wow. Timing is crucial. When someone is having a heart attack or a stroke, for example, medical experts stress that the quicker someone can get to, uh, to help, if they're experiencing a heart attack, the faster they can get to a hospital and receive treatment, the better their chances of survival. But not only the better their chances of survival, the better are their chances of, of surviving the heart attack without any permanent damage to their heart if it can get there in time. It stands to reason that timing is critically important in the physical world. But it's just as important in the spiritual world as well, if not more important. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says this to the church in Galatia. He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, some translations put it this way, in the fullness of time. When the time was just right. God has his timing in your life, and God's timing here and now in your life is just right. Find that. Do that. And your life will mean something. Last year, we looked at the Chosen series. Do you remember that video series? And my favorite scene, and I know I told you this, was the woman at the well. Now, Jesus, according to the Bible, Jesus went to the well, or the woman went to the well at the sixth hour of the day, which is around noontime, and it's boiling hot in Israel uh, I've been to Jacob's well. It's boiling hot in Israel at noontime. It's like Texas in August. 
And so the ladies didn't go there at noon. They went there early in the day when it was still cool, but this woman had a bad reputation. The other woman didn't want to be around her, and so she had to go by herself at noontime. Nobody would have expected her to be there. Nobody would have gone to the well at noon hoping to get a drink of water because there's no women there. If you want a drink of water, you better go early when the women are around because they're the ones that have the, the jars. But Jesus was there because he knew she would be there at that moment in time. And her whole life changed. She didn't know when she walked up the well that her whole life was about to change. But Jesus had perfect timing. His timing was perfect and it always is. I like going to Ranger baseball games, the hot dogs, the energy, the dot race, and even the baseball. But I admit it's a little slow at times. At times, baseball is an interesting sport because there are times it's very exciting. Oh, somebody hits a home run, you know, or the bases are loaded and they hit that home run and they all, I mean, it's exciting. But you have to wait two hours before that moment happens. There's a whole lot of this and then there's a spike and then a whole lot more of that. But you know what I like about baseball? I like the ninth inning. Because in the ninth inning, the team that's behind knows this is their last chance. They don't have another inning two or three to get it right. They got to do it then or they're going to lose the game. And so you see them playing with more pep in the ninth inning than any other inning in the game. They can't put it off any longer because they know that's the moment they will win or lose the game. There's a lot of speculation about when Christ is going to come back. And I don't know. You know, for the last 2,000 years, every generation felt that this would be the time. But the Bible tells us that when Jesus does return, everybody's going to be shocked because most people are not going to be expecting him. And looking at the events of our life, oh my goodness. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I can tell you this. We're in the ninth inning. Live your life with that understanding. Make use of God's time. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would help us use our time wisely this week. Maybe a little less complaining and a little more productive. A little less time on our phone or a computer and a little more time talking with people and sharing our faith. A little less time hating and a little more time loving. Help us not to give in to the deception of Satan to simply waste our life away. Our lives are more valuable than that to you. Help us to seek your time. As we're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? This is God's time in your life. I want to challenge you to come before your God and say, God, what do you want for my life this week? Or maybe you know what God wants you to do and you just haven't done it. You keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Now is the appointed time. Listen to me. Now is the appointed time. I challenge you. If there's anyone here who has not received Christ as their Lord and Savior, you've never surrendered to Him, now is the time. Don't wait next week. You don't know what's going to happen next week or if there will even be a next week. Right now is the appointed time. 
If you've been struggling in your life and you have drifted away from Him, you're a believer, but you've drifted away and you know it. You're like those folks in Hebrews where you're still in Christianity 101 and you, you're still on milk and you need to grow up. I challenge you to just be honest with your God and say, God, help me to grow. I'm willing to get back in it. I'm willing to move forward with my life spiritually. I want my life to matter. I don't want to just drift through life, wasting time. I want to do what you created me to do. And you need to rededicate your life. Could be God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to serve your time in the kingdom in this world, in this place. And God will find a place for you to be productive here. We want you to know you're welcome here. If God is leading you to make a decision, this invitation, this time of invitation is for you. No one's looking around. Would you stand? And as you stand and as you pray, right now, you come.